Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. So look, though, today we are starting a brand new series called If Money Talked, and we're going to do something spicy with this series. Spicy, all right? We're going to spice this up. So we are going to... When I close out, we are going to essentially have a session called But John. Because honestly, right, like I, I know many times whenever somebody is preaching, you've got questions. Or you've got pushbacks. You might say, yeah, but John, what about this? But John, what about that? So here's the thing, right, with this series, we're going to give you the, the opportunity to share those questions with us and then... Right at the very end, when I close out, I'm going to spend about 10 minutes answering questions that you text in. So here's the thing, right? If you want to text in your question during whatever part of this message today, you can do so, 757-690-2401. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to say, hi, my name is so-and-so. You can just text it in, okay? Because honestly, right, I want this to be the opportunity for you if, to, to essentially, yeah, but John, what about this and that phone number will be will be at the bottom during the whole service so you can know what that phone number is and you can text in questions if you desire to do so. Everyone good with that? Does anybody like that? Okay, all right, cool. Just just wanted to make sure you're like, John, I got questions. What just just preach. All right, hurry up. Okay. No, I'm just I'm just kidding, right? Now, but at the same 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 time too, whenever we do a sermon series talking about money, I always get worried because I don't want you to think our, because that's right, I, like, I don't want you to think that our church is struggling with money. Because I think sometimes when, whenever pastors talk about money, some people can think, oh, here we go, pastor talking about money. What offering he going to have to just try to give to? Is this going to lead to some sort of building fund, right? And, and here's the thing, 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 right, there is no ulterior motive with this series. Our church really is, is, is in a great financial position, and really right now, I just want to actually share that, share that with you right now before we start this series. Um, just kind of give you a five a a five month in financial picture of what we've taken in as a church and what we have spent as a church. You're gonna actually see a graphic here. You're gonna actually actually see this is where we've actually spent. Overall, we've had about two hundred and forty one thousand dollars come in we've spent about two hundred and twenty four thousand one thing that you'll see here is we've spent a, a lot of money on manpower and that is because whenever we went online that was the smallest staffed place on our church so honestly that that was a spot we didn't have like many many staff staff members in and when our church went completely online we had to bring some people on and staff them there so we could keep the quality and keep on doing what what and, and keep on doing what we were doing. So, but also too, let me give you a couple highlights. Um, we have zero, zero debt. Zero. So that is something we praise God for. Like we have zero debt. We've, we've got a couple months saved, saved up and reserved. We want to be wise financially in the same way that we would hope you would actually run your home. 
We want to run our finances as a church the same way because we don't want to operate out of a place of like hurry, want, or just 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 kind of like reacting. You know, we we want to be wise with what you entrust to us. And and so honestly, thank you for that. Zero debt. We're in a great spot financially. But I, I would say if there was one opportunity that I would just throw out there and challenge us with is we have about 15% of the people that call our church home give about 85% of what comes in. So, 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 so really what I see is we have great opportunity for us to get in the game, honor God, uh, and invest in the local church. Because honestly, right, here, here's the thing, right, whenever Kristen and I started this church, right, we have a lot of vision. We have a lot we want to do. In, in the city. Like, this is not what we just call church. This is a church service, but this is not the church. A church is not just a, a service. It's a part of what the church does, but a church is called to impact a city. And here's the thing. We have got vision to do that, and, and you've seen what we've done in our city with four our city projects. Like, we just don't want to be a church that, that just comes into this room, celebrates, leaves, and doesn't impact the city, right? So here's the thing. We have vision, but what we've said is this. We will move at the speed of our corporate generosity. We're not going to go beyond where, where we currently are and where wisdom says, okay? So as I say, we're going to move at the speed of, of our corporate generosity. And then, too, we, we know, though, like, we know it takes trust. Like, we want you to trust us. And sharing this information, hopefully, is kind of like building that. Like, we don't want to just be like, hey, you don't know where the money's going. to. No, we want to build trust with you. But at the same time, it is our heart that you are financially healthy in your own home. So we have got ministries here where if you need to get out of debt, if, if you are struggling, if you don't know what to do, you don't, you don't, like we have people in our church that are passionate about that. Like that's what they feel called to do. So, so look, we want you to be healthy in your home. But also, too, we know this, right? Hold on, I got, I got notes here. Let me stick, stick to these. Whenever Kristen... And I planned this church. It was always our desire that anyone that comes to our church and calls our church home, they would view giving as a I get to instead of an I have to. Because, on, because the, you would be so inspired by what you see. You would be so inspired by what you see this church doing. You would actually look at, I can't wait to give. Because I see the impact of what this church is doing in this city. And you know, you can feel it even in your own life. Your relationship with God is growing. All right? Everyone good? It's a little church financial update. If it's your first time here, welcome. You just had a family meeting. Welcome to the family, all right? Is everyone good, though? Okay. All right, cool. All right. If money talked, if money talked, here's the thing, right? With this series, we wanted to say, what would money say if it could talk? Because, honestly, we typically tell, we typically tell the money we have where to go. But what if we actually let money talk to us? The money we have, the, the money that the world has, what if we let that talk to us, right? Because here's the thing, right? I believe if money could talk, one of the first things that it would say, and actually what you would actually see is what money would say would actually be a lot of what Jesus would say. And the thing is, is, is studying this, when you actually study about what Jesus said about money, the crazy thing is Jesus talked more about money than heaven, hell, prayer, or faith think there was a reason why it's because he knew the power and the grip and the fact that here's the thing right money just doesn't want to assimilate into your life it wants to own you 
And so here's the thing, right? If we're going to say, what is the first thing that money would say to you? I believe it would say this. Own me or I, or own, yeah, own me or I'll own you. Own me or I will own you. Because here's the thing, right? I bet one of the three things, top three things that would keep you up, up at night probably involves a money question. How am I going to pay for college? I've told my kids, I'm not paying for college. You on your own. You better get good grades. You better go to the military. Or you got something called the shipyard, which they'll pay you to go to college. So it was on you. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just sharing with you my strategy. Because I got three boys. College is crazy. There's something called a certification. HVAC. No, I'm just, it's just like, you know, like, <laughs> so I'm not wrestling with that question because I ain't paying for God. But, but honestly, right, like, how am I going to pay for, you might be saying, what if I don't get that pay raise? How am I going to save for, why did I buy? I wish I had more. It's crazy how those questions don't just assimilate, they dominate. And that is what money strives to do. Even Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 6. One of the things Jesus, Jesus said. He says, you, or he said, no one can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other. Or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. A.K.A. money. It's crazy that. Jesus did not talk this way about no other temptation. One of the things Douglas Jones points out in his book, Dismissing Jesus, he says this, for Jesus, mammon wasn't one idol among many equals. Jesus never spoke of any other God in the way he spoke of mammon. He singled it out as the direct competitor to God. He never contrasted the idols of sexuality or knowledge, or the earth in such stark opposition to God. Jesus never said, you cannot serve sexuality in God or knowledge in God, though those are idols too. It's almost as if Jesus was saying, money doesn't just, like I said, want to assimilate into your life, it wants to rule you. Martin Luther, the great reformer, the great reformer, the one who posted the 95 Thesis, actually said this. He said, many a one thinks that he has God and everything in abundance when he has money and possessions. He trusts in them and boasts in them with such firmness and assurance as to care for no one. Lo, such a man also has a God. Everyone say God. Mammon by name, money and possessions on which he has set his heart and which is also the most common idol on earth. He who has money... And possessions feel secure and is joyful and undismayed as though he were sitting in the midst of paradise. Of paradise. What I think Jesus brings up, Douglas Jones affirms, and Martin Luther himself says is that here's the thing, right? Money is not just the stuff thing, it's a God thing. It's not a stuff thing, it's a God thing. Money doesn't just want you to assimilate into your life. Money wants to come in and rule you and be the God you center your life around. Now, I don't know about you. I always wondered why Jesus, like, used the word mammon and how we typically translate that money, right? Most modern translations translate that word money. But when you actually go back and study the word mammon, can we actually say that right now? Mammon. That's kind of an old school King James Version word, right? Mammon. But, and really it's like, why would Jesus use that word mammon? But it's really interesting. Whenever you go back and study that word 
Mammon, Mammon was actually the Syrian god of riches. And scholars say when Jesus said that, the people there listening to him would have immediately known what god he was talking about. Now the thing is, that Syrian god came from Babylon. And if you know anything about the Bible or scripture and church, you know the first time Babylon was said or talked about in scripture was Genesis chapter 11, which is where Babylon, they tried to build a tower for themselves, by themselves, up to God. So here's the thing, right? Babylon in itself, what comes from Babylon is actually a system of self-dependence. It's actually a system, it is a way of doing life that says, I don't need God, I got it. Because that's what originated from Babylon, was essentially, we don't need God, we're going to go up, do our tower, God, we don't need you. So here's the thing, mammon, I just don't believe, is just money, mammon, and what Jesus was saying, and why he said you can't serve both is because he was saying it's actually a God that, that has a system, a way of doing things, but it is actually a spirit that takes over people. God, system, spirit. Everyone doing okay? Okay. All right. So, it's funny though, we don't talk about idols in our culture. It's funny how we can even joke on like, on different countries whenever we see them dancing. Whenever we see them painting their faces. Whenever we see them doing rain dances or whenever we see them sacrificing their children, whenever we see them sacrificing to the sun or to the constellations, it's, it's like our concept of, what's, of, of what idol worship is, is very unique in this country. And many times we would even be judgmental to them. And I'm like, have you ever went to a college football game? There's a, there's a lot of worship going on there. There's a lot of pagan idol worship going on there. Faces painted body painted, but we can get so judgmental because we, have, we are so steeped in it, we don't even realize it's there. It's kind of like the boiling frog. Doesn't even know it's being boiled, but it's being boiled little by little by little. In our culture, you know it, y'all, our country was founded as an investment. It was founded on financial gain, financial investment, and what our country's currency has always been, it's even on the money. And God we trust. That is the environment and the culture we're in. But here's the thing. I think whenever we don't dive in and we don't, let's take a step back and be like, let's examine this cultural idol. That, the, 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 um, that our culture has. But also, too, examine the way idol worship actually works. Because here's the thing, right? You could put this graphic up, the first part here. The way it works yeah, see, here's, here's the thing. When you have a God, that God requires worship. And to worship, you must bring a sacrifice. To bring a sacrifice, you must have a what? Offering, a sacrificial offering. So let me show you how this actually works out practically. Watch this first one. So here's the thing. You've got the God, the object of worship. Worship, which is the actual action. The offering, which is the thing, and the sacrifice is the price that you pay for the thing you offer. So let's, let's take that frame of thought 
and reference it to the God of mammon. Let's check this out. Mammon is the object. Work, earn, save, spend, invest is the worship. It's the actual act of you actually serving. And, and see, then it, then it says, what is the sacrificial offering many of us give to serve the God of mammon? We give up our mental health. We sacrifice our character. We sacrifice our, we sacrifice our integrity. Sacrifice marriage. How many of you, you've, the issue in your marriage was how much you worked. And you just thought, I'm just, I'm just trying to provide. But actually at the root of it was you have a God you're worshiping. Kids, how many of people put their kids on the back burner just so they can serve the God of mammon and they can go to their job and worship their God while their kids are staying at home wondering where their dad or where their mom is? Purpose, calling. And what you sacrifice when you serve that God is God's best. Is this making sense? You've got an object of worship. You've got the act of worship. Then you've got the sacrificial offering that you bring. And then you have to say, what, what is the price you pay to serve that God? One more slide. Here's, here's the thing. This is what Jesus would give you. He said, when you worship Jesus, your life becomes worship. See, some of y'all bifurcate worship to just be what you do for 15 minutes here on a Sunday. Romans 12, too, actually says all of life is worship. Take your everyday eating, sleeping, whatever you do, and present it to God as a what? Offering. Your life is worship. You are an unceasing worshiper. Why? Because you are created in the image of God. So you are an unceasing worshiper. So here's the thing, right? You have Jesus is the object. All of your life becomes worship. Hold up. I'm trying to get my mind right because I'm like seeing all, all this stuff here. The, here's the thing. What you actually bring is, is to offer God is your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. But, but here's the thing, right? What you actually sacrifice isn't actually a sacrifice. You actually sacrifice your way of doing things. So what you actually receive back is God's way and God's blessing. Because, y'all, here, here's the truth. Whatever you worship, you'll become. You'll become like the God you worship. And what you actually see is God telling this in the Old Testament. He was saying, he was saying Israel, you're worshiping these idols that, that, you're, that when you worship them, you're going to become like them. He said, you are literally worshiping these deaf, blind, dumb idols. So do you know what you're going to become as a result of worshiping these deaf, blind, dumb animals? Uh, not, not animals. What did I say? Deaf, blind, dumb? Idols. It's been a long day. <sighs> Is you'll become deaf, blind, and dumb. You'll become like what you worship. I just think of what our country has become because we've worshipped at the God of mammon. Some of our country's gravest sins has been so we can keep the financial train moving. And we've sacrificed people on the altar. We've said, hey, we can't keep this thing going unless we have this, this particular people group doing what we need them to do for nothing. 
it is amazing when you dive in and you will see how deep this thing has gotten, but how we, we don't even know it because it's been so normalized. And y'all, with, with, with this series, my desire has been to punch this in the face with the love of God. Because if we have a church that is not content in him, see, see here's, a, here's the thing. If you're not content, you'll never be generous. Because you'll always be having lack. It's like if you don't think he is enough and he's giving you a brain to use wisdom, to put into place practical habits, to, to steward what he's given you right, then you will never be generous to the church or to anybody. Because you'll always have the mindset of lack. I need more. I need more. I need more. I need more. So, what you worship, you become. Mammon is a God that desires you to worship it, sacrifice for it, and to bring what is most precious to you and sacrifice it. If you don't get a grip on it, it will get a grip on you. So here's the thing. How do we respond whenever we notice something becomes a cultural idol or a personal idol? I'm going to tell you how we typically respond. We typically do four things. And John Calvin said this, right? John, John Calvin, one of the greatest theologians, he said this. The human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us is from his mother's womb an expert in inventing idols. There's like this factory that's in your heart. Just, just read the Old Testament and you'll find this is the exact thing that, that the nation of Israel, God's people, struggled with. So here's the thing. What we typically do whenever we have got idols, we do four things. First off, we defend it. Secondly, we deflect. Thirdly. We devalue. And fourthly, we digest. We assimilate. So here's the thing. Defending is, man, it, yo, it's, it ain't that bad. Like, 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 like just like, well, everyone else is doing it. Like, you, you don't know what this does for me. You don't know the life that I grew up with. And I grew up poor, and I, that will not be my family. Ever. No. Will not be me. Or... We deflect it. Yeah, but what, if, what about sexual sin? What about gossip? A church full of gossip. You try to deflect it. And you basically say, yeah, but what about? We're really good at this. We can say, well, you know, or, or we devalue it. Well, you know, it's just, it's, you know, when compared to, like, killing somebody, it ain't that bad. Ain't that bad, you know? Like, just did, you know? It's all good. It ain't that bad, you know? We devalue it or we digest it, which, which could also be assimilated, which is what the church has done. So we said, okay, we like money in this country. Hey, why don't we do this? What if, you, what if, what if, what if we preach if you serve Jesus, he'll give you money? Ooh, yeah, I like this message. So basically it's like serve Jesus and you'll get your cultural idols. That's what the church has done. It's called the prosperity gospel, where they have said you serve Jesus and you have health, wealth, and finances. So one of the byproducts of serving Jesus will be the fact that he'll give you every idol that's in your heart. That is not the gospel, friends. 
That is not the gospel. Now, now the thing is this, right? I always say this. When you follow Jesus, you live with wisdom. Okay? Now, wisdom means, you, now the first wisdom is to fear the Lord. That's what, that's what Proverbs says. Wis, begin, the beginning of wisdom is to fear God and doing things God's, God's way. But the way of doing things God's way is in direct opposition to the way the world tells you to do it. And we're going to talk more about that next week. So hopefully I haven't scared you off so much that you're not going to come back next week. But hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll come back and engage. But the, but the thing is this, right? Many of us have lived a lifestyle of doing this with things we know are dominating us. And my prayer today is that we would identify it, notice it, and that we would change. what. So that is what we typically do. Let me tell you what I pray we do do today. Is we respond to these cultural and personal idols the way that Josiah, King Josiah, responded in the Old Testament. So there was a king in the, in the Old Testament in the book of 2 Kings that basically took over as a king, right? So here's let me give you some context here. Israel was God's people. At, at a point in their history, they broke off and split up into two different king, kingdoms. And the, book in the, the books in the Old Testament of First and Second Kings chronicle the kingdom or the way that they led in those particular seasons and times in Israel's history, okay? And what we see here in 2 Kings, I think it's 30-something, we see the story of King Josiah, who became king at eight years old. Eight. So he was a youngin. And then about 20-some years into his kingdom reign, and he was reigning in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is where they had the temple where they worshipped God. The priests went into the temple and found the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and brought them and read them to the king. So they were, like, here's the thing. Israel was so far off course. They were so assimilated to their culture. They did not even have their, their Bible. No one knew God's law. No one knew God's standard. It said it had gotten lost. Like, no one even knew it. And so the priest finds this book, takes it to King Josiah, and reads it to him. And it literally says in, in 2 Kings, just go ahead and put up this slide because I don't remember. 2, 2 Kings 22.11, it says, when the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. He said, my God, how far have we gone from, from God's people living like this? How far have we gone? He, he had this conviction. He was like, when I heard God's standard, I mean, tearing the, we don't do that in this culture. If y'all start, like, ripping y'all shirts off, yo, we, there's a different way you can mourn, okay? There's a different way you can repent. I mean, that's a little interesting. But that was essentially saying it ripped him to shreds. And then whenever he heard what God's standard was, Scripture says, then he got the whole city together. And he was like, all y'all suckers, come and stand right here. We're going to read this whole book to y'all because I need everybody to hear how far we have gotten off track. Everybody's listening to this. It's kind of like whenever dad gets in the room, he's like, all y'all kids, come out here. Everyone's listening. He gathered the whole city, and when he read it to the people, the people responded the same way he did. And they made a covenant to the Lord saying, we acknowledge how far we've gone, and we want to come back to you, Lord. 
But here's the thing. Not only that, Josiah went berserk. Like, I'm, I'm going to read a series of maybe like eight to ten scriptures here and let you know how insane Josiah got. Because when he realized and acknowledged how far they had gone, he said, there's going to be some changes. There's going to be some, some reforms. Let's, here's the thing, right? Everyone put your seatbelt on. Everyone good? We're going to read these verses together, and they're going to describe a little bit about how Josiah responded to these idols in his town. Here we go. It says, then the king instructed Hilkalah, the high priest, and the priest of the second rank, and the temple gatekeepers to remove from the Lord's temple all the articles that were used to worship Baal, Asherah, and all the powers of the heavens. The king had all of these things burned outside Jerusalem on the terraces of the Kidron Valley, and he carried the ashes away to Bethel. He did away with the idolatrous priests who had been appointed by the previous kings of Judah, for they had offered sacrifices at the pagan shrines throughout Judah and even in the vicinity of Jerusalem. They had also offered sacrifice to Baal and the sun, the moon, the constellations, and all the powers of the heavens. The king removed the Asherah pole from the Lord's temple and took, outside, and took it outside to Jerusalem to the Kidron Valley where he burned it. Then he ground the ashes of the pole to dust and threw the dust over the graves of the people. That's a, that, that just sounds like a boss move. You take an ashes and spread them. <laughs> Let's do it. Then he says he also tore down the, the living quarters of the male and female shrine prostitutes that were inside the temple of, of the, do you see how far they'd gotten? Do not commit adultery. Hey, let's put some prostitutes in here. Where the woman wore wolf coverings for, for, for the Asherah pole. Then the king defiled the altar of Topeth in the valley of Ben-Hinnom so, the, so that no one could ever again use it to sacrifice a son or daughter in the fire as an offering to Molech. They were sacrificing their children. Josiah tore down the altars that the kings of Judah had built on the palace roof above the upper room of, of Ahaz. The king destroyed the altars that Manasseh had built in the two courtyards of the Lord's temple. He smashed them to bits and scattered the pieces in the Kidron Valley. He smashed in the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. Then he desecrated these places by scattering human bones over them. He was not playing. The king also tore down the altar at Bethel, the pagan shrine that the Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had made when he caused Israel to sin. He burned down the shrine to the ground and it ground it to dust, and he burned the Asherah pole. Are y'all catching the drift? Then Josiah demolished all the buildings at the pagan shrines and the towns of Samaria, just as he had done at Bethel. They had been built by the various kings of Israel and had made the Lord very angry. He executed the priests of the pagan shrines on their own altars, and he burned human bones on the altars to, to desecrate them. And then it says, finally, he returned to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to realize how Josiah responded. He wasn't nice to his idols. We are. We are very nice, and we play very nice with them. We play very nice with them because I think deep down inside of us, we like them. And some of y'all have been trying to change without, without having that deep down Holy Spirit given spirit of repentance and conviction that is almost one of the, the true ways you know that someone has truly believed. Because I think if we're honest, a lot of us just want to be saved from hell. And Jesus, yes, he's, he died on the cross in your place and for your sin, and he saved you, and he will save you. But at the same time, he desires for you to 
walk in his steps and his ways now. And it's not a get, it's not a have to, it is an I get to, because y'all, here's the thing. You, when, when you serve a God, you become like that God. How many of you know people, their God was money, and it has turned them into a certain kind of person? It has turned them into somebody inward focus. It has turned them into somebody that is just, just a miser. And, and so, so y'all, here, here's the thing. I, I think we've been too nice. What do we see Josiah doing? When Josiah heard God's standard, he acknowledged the truth that they had gone off course and started to serve other gods. He didn't deflect, defend, devalue, or digest. He owned up to it, but then the thing is he put what? Action behind his feelings. And I think that's what we in the church struggle, struggle with. Is saying we can feel bad in a service and we can sense the Lord's conviction in a service, but what do we do when we actually leave? Is there actually practical change? So here's the thing. What if we responded like Josiah to the God of mammon? What would that look like in your life? What, 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 like what would that actually look like practically in your life of you actually acknowledging you've gone off track? Repenting and saying, God, I make a vow to turn and go towards your way. And then you went berserk <laughs> like Josiah did. Because God loves you that much to show you where you've gone wrong. Here's the thing. If money could talk, what would it say? Own me or I'll own you. Money doesn't have to own you. You can own it, but only when Jesus owns you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And, Lord, we pray today, God, that we would be truthful and actually acknowledge those cultural idols and those cultural gods that we have made the object of our worship. And we actually worship it by what we do. And we sacrifice many precious things on the altar of mammon. So, God, I pray today for a spirit of, of loving conviction. Because, God, you love us that much. And, God, I pray that there just would not just be a feeling. There would actually be a change. There would be a passion to respond like Josiah. To where we say we're just not going to feel bad. We're actually going to go and put in place practical ways of not letting this idol rule us. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Everyone said, amen. All right, but John, that is the shortest sermon I've done in a long time, so you guys are welcome. But let's, let's see here. But John, did we get any questions in? One? Literally one? What is most... What is motion on the pie chart? <laughs> That's it? Okay. Well, while I do this question, uh, if anyone wants to actually text in a question, that would be awesome. Okay. Motion on the pie chart is a, is a key way of saying operations. It, it keeps things rolling. Here, here's the thing, right? Preachers, 
We like, um, what, what do you call that thing where it's all the same letter? Alliterations. So here's all right. We've got six specific M's that we invest in, in into. So we were like manpower, um, margin, ministries, missions. We were like operations. That's not an M. We're going to call it motion. <laughs> so um, there you go. That's a deep theological question that I just answered for you. So you're welcome. So you're welcome. You're welcome, Frank. We know who answered that, or we know who asked that, that one. All right, so it looks like we've got some other questions. Just go ahead and shout it out. Oh, are they? Okay. Yeah. Can you, can, can you repeat that? I would second that because honestly, honestly, I think every single business thrives because they, because they, 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 um, they find a problem and solve it, right? And, and so I think if you do that, so here's the thing, if you are a Christian business owner and you find a problem and God, you know, the, you know, and you solve it with whatever product, service you give and God blesses you for it, that, that's not saying, oh my God, I've got money Mammon, you know, like, it, it, here's the thing, right? We don't need to be scared of money. And I pray I haven't communicated that. But here's the, here's the thing, right? Even in First, in first Timothy 6, this is what Paul, Paul said. Do I actually have that verse? First Timothy 6? I thought I was going to use that today, but I don't think I did. So let me tell you what First Timothy 6 says. This is what Paul, uh, Paul said. He said, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped. See, here's the thing. He doesn't say they're not saved. Fall into temptation and get trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, everyone say love, love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Money we should not be scared of. But here's the thing. If you aren't proactive, that's the key word, proactive in saying, I'm going to set in place standards and boundaries to keep myself not being a slave to mammon, then you will reactively be taken over. That makes sense? In our culture, it is proactively getting you to try to be its God. So if you are reactive and you aren't proactive in saying, I'm going to intentionally fight this, and, and that is why generosity is one of the most powerful tools we have to fight the God of mammon. That is why Kristen and I, we, we have said 12% of whatever comes into our home immediately goes out the door. Because I'm, no. We're going to be proactive with our generosity. We're not going to say, well, if, if we've got it left over this month, well, if, if, we, if we can do it after the vacation, if we can do it after the birthday parties, 
We say, no, we are proactive in saying we are going to be intentionally disciplined. Because here's the thing, right? What we typically say, right, is we'll say, if I feel like it, I'll give it. There's no other part of our Christian life that operates that way. We don't say, well, I feel like loving this person. I guess I'll do it. That's not the way Christians operate. Christians say, what does Jesus command? He's given me his Holy Spirit to be inside. Now the Spirit can empower me to be like Jesus. But to be like Jesus, you're not just trying. You have to train. Okay, I think I'm getting too in-depth here. Sorry. So I don't know. I don't even remember what, what the question was, but hopefully that was helpful. <laughs> was that helpful or bad? All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Another question? Oh, good. How does someone not feel or be labeled as a, as a hypocrite? You say certain actions are how we worship the God of money, but some of those actions are basically required to survive in the world. Yes, yes, right. And, 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 and here's the thing, right, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't live. I'm not saying don't do what you got to do in our culture and stuff like that. But here's the, here's the thing. I, 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 I think humans are funny, and I say humans and not just say me. Because I am so good at something that I love that is not God's best, making it, getting it to be, like, defending it, deflecting it, devaluing it, and, di- and digesting it. And here's the thing, that's, that's why I think it takes the conviction of the Holy Spirit to speak to each person in, individually. And where I think we need to be careful to not judge. I think some people say, oh, they got a Benz, mammon. <laughs> mammon, $350,000 house, mammon, <laughs> right? It's like we could get like that. We can, we can get really, really judgmental and we can think our crap doesn't stink. Okay? Sorry. This is unplugged. This is not me on a sheet. So you get what you get. You get what you pay for, all right? Uh, but... You know, so, so, so that's, that's why I, I just think you have got, you know, I say this whatever. It, it is between you and God, yes. But I think also, too, one of the reasons why we struggle so much is because we don't invite in accountability. Right? Because we've, we, we have made money such a private area of our life. And it's so funny we've done that. Because it's, it's kind of become that thing we just slide into the dark. And that's why I think it trips so many people up is because they don't, have any, they don't invite anyone in to help them. They're in, they're, they're in thousands of dollars of debt, and they don't want to let no one know. Like, I'm barely surviving. Like, you, you know, you know it's, it's just it's like, you know, so, yes, you've got to live. At the same time, I would say be keen on inviting the conviction of the Holy Spirit into your life. And be careful to judge somebody else. Because you don't know their story. You don't know their background. Somebody could have given them that car. Somebody could have given them that house. They could have inherited it. So instead of judging, why don't you, why don't you invite them out to lunch and ask them about their story? It's something our country's terrible at. Right? Did that help? Is that Okay. All right. Next. What does your sign burning the idols look like in my life? Well, since well, since you asked. No, I I think the you know, I think it's definitely principle. 
right? There are some things in Scripture that are principles you take. That, that, that's your thing. They are descriptive, not, not, not prescriptive. <laughs> that, that makes sense? Descriptive, not prescriptive. So, if, if like, honey, I'm burning the basketball rim. It's going in the garbage. Mammon. Driving my car into the James River. Mammon. You know, it's like, <laughs> Pastor John told me to. You know, it's like, nah, yo, we ain't trying to do, do that stuff. But, but I, I think it looks like you being proactive. Proactive if you sense and feel that there is a spot or place in your life that the spirit and system and God of mammon it has worked itself in. And I, I think you can see that because here's the thing. What you, I think you've got to look at your bank account. Where does the money flow? Is it all geared towards you? And, 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 and really, that, that's why you see a, a, des, a descriptive practice that God actually set up when, when he was forming his people in the Old Testament was, I, I want you to take, and what the actual um, law was, 23% of whatever farms you have, income you have, and set that aside to be generous. One was the tithe. One was, was for the, so it was kind of just like taxes, and 3% was for the poor. And so, Jesus, so basically God was saying, I want it to be worked into your life as a discipline and habit to be proactively generous instead of reactively generous. Because, like I said, if you're not pro, proactive and you're reactive, you'll get swallowed up by the culture. And so I think practically that looks different. For some of you here, that, that, that might be like you are spending $1,200 per month in car payments and you're in debt. You might need to get clunkers. I sound like Dave Ramsey. Get clunkers, get rid of those car payments, and pay off your debt. It might be you have a house you cannot afford. And you're, and, 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 and you're killing yourself and you're stressed out. How are you going to pay for it? And so you put your kids in the background, and you barely spend time with them so you can pay for the house that they're living in. Maybe that is an idol you've created where you're sacrificing your kids on the altar. And you need to be like, yo, like I, that's, an, that's something I need to fix. You might have to have a lower standard of living that leads to a better mindset of living. That makes sense? So I don't want to get too prescriptive here. But I do want to say there's power in you asking God, what in my life needs to change? Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or say yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at LifehouseNN.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us online next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at lifehouseonline.com or in person for a live worship service at 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. at the Kiln Creek Regal Theater in Newport News, Virginia. Visit lifehouseinn.com for more information or to RSVP for a live service.